If you'd turn tonight in your Bibles, we're going to be looking at two passages. They're going to be uh, taken one right after another. But the first, we'll go to the book of Psalms, to chapter 8. And I want to begin tonight. You, you see, we celebrate Thanksgiving as, as a way of celebrating uh, the thankfulness that we have to God for all the multitudes of blessings that he's given us. And while that is the principal reason, it's not the only thing that we should be thanking God for. Because scripture said we're to give thanks to God for everything. Everything. That's the, the good, that's the bad, that's the thorns and thistles and the trials, the tribulations, your problems, those things that are wonderful, those things that are difficult. Scripture is very clear that truly thankful people understand that Romans 8.28 principle that all things do indeed work together to the good for those who love God and are the called according to his purposes. And so thanksgiving for us takes a very different flavor than just simply being thankful for prosperity. We actually have times when we can be thankful for those thorns in our lives. We can be thankful for the things that don't necessarily go the way we had planned them. You you can be thankful for the, the roles that don't quite rise tomorrow and for the pie that looks more like jello and the jello that looks more like pie and for that one crazy weird uncle that you hope runs out of gas on the way to the family dinner or ants. We can be thankful for all things in Christ Jesus because he's using each of those things in our lives. In these passages we're going to look at tonight, and we'll begin with Psalm 8. And the reason I want to begin there is you can really give thanks Truly give thanks only when you understand who it is that you're giving thanks to. If you're giving thanks to a big God who's able to use all things, then giving thanks is something that comes pretty naturally. And I want to begin by looking at the the eighth psalm here in the first five verses. So as you understand how big your God is, as you understand who he is in your life, Thanksgiving takes on a whole new meaning. And so I pray tonight the Lord would bless us with his presence here in this place by the Holy Spirit. And so let's pray and ask God to anoint our time together in his word. Father, we are grateful. And we are thankful, Lord. Thank you for the the thorny things in life. Lord, thank you for the abundance. Thank you for the times of want that help us truly appreciate what we have. Thank you for brokenness and humility. Thank you, God, for the way that you do work all things together, ultimately, for the good. Lord, they may not be good when we experience those things, but you somehow, in your majestic wonder of your sovereignty, work them together and and cause something that is good in our lives. And so, Lord, we give you tonight, and we pray that as your people, you give us thankful hearts those thankful hearts would not just be on one day a year, but every day of the year. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Verse 1 here in Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, 
O Lord, your Lord, my Lord, the only Lord, the Ephesians 4, one Lord, one faith, one hope, one baptism. There's only one Lord. Amen? And he is Lord of all. So the psalmist David begins this psalm by pointing out that he is looking to the Lord. And and he does so this way. How excellent is your name in all of the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. And the way he starts this, it's very important as you, as you look at it to understand what he is getting at. Because he's going to next go on and talk about the creation, which is something we can see. But he says your glory is above that. It's beyond that. And so when we have looked at the creation account there in Genesis 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and then he goes on to create everything else, including you, including me, us, this whole world, and he's chosen this little speck in the middle of the Milky Way galaxy on which to put the only human beings that exist, so far as any of us know or will likely ever know, In all of the galaxy, in all of the universe, he's chosen this one little blue ball, the third planet from our sun. He's chosen this place to put one group of individuals into whom he has poured his own very spirit and likeness. But he dwells above all this. The majesty of the heavens. You set your glory above it, he says. And remember, David's not sitting around with a telescope. He doesn't know what a satellite is. He's gazing up at the night sky, much like you and I would if we went someplace where there wasn't as much ambient light as we have here. And he's just simply looking up at the heavens. And so what does he say? He says, out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you've ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. He says he uses children. The very thing that Paul would say, he says he uses, he uses foolishness to confound the wise. He uses children to teach us lessons. Jesus actually did that when he was here, didn't he? Matter of fact, he said, unless you become as one of these, you'll not see the kingdom of heaven. But what he says next is mind-boggling. When I consider your heavens. Now, he's already said that the glory of God is beyond those heavens. When I consider your heavens, what David is speaking of when he says heavens is what he can see. When David looked up in the night sky, when he gazed at the moon, when he saw the stars, when he glanced up and saw that band that we call the Milky Way, which is nothing more than the edge of our own galaxy as we look out through it, a very dense cluster of some 300 billion stars. When I consider your heavens, you see, David didn't really know that was out there. He just knew that the beauty of what he was looking at in the night sky was staggering. He didn't have an explanation for it. Many of the ancients thought that the sky was nothing more than a a garment 
and that there were holes in it, and there was light beyond it. And so when you looked at the night sky, you were actually seeing the piercings in the garment of heaven and the light coming through it. That's how primitive their understanding of the creation was. At David's time, maybe if you'd glanced up in the evening, you might have been able to count a thousand or so stars. He had no idea that many of those things he was looking at were not actually stars at all, but very distant galaxies. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the doodling, the diddling, the the playing around, the goofing... Most of you, if you have children and they've been through that first, second, third grade phase, you've probably had a few projects that were the work of fingers. Amen? Finger painting, fingerprints, the work of the fingers. They're they're not exactly impressive works of art, but they're very valuable. Amen? When I consider your heavens... The work of your fingers, something that you, God, did just in the moment of time. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's as if God just said, here it is. The moon and the stars which you have ordained. And he uses a word here in Hebrew that reminds us of the incredible complexity the fine-tuning of the universe. He's saying the moon seems to show up pretty much in the same place every evening. Then it always comes back. You made an orbit for it. And then he says, verse 4, notice this. In light of what he could see, in light of his limited knowledge of the heavens, knowing that God was somewhere beyond them. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you would visit him. When you think of who Jesus is, he is Emmanuel, amen? Emmanuel, God with his people. What is man? Man is so amazingly important to God that this is the only place that God has visited. We are the only group of people that have ever been visited by God. We are so important that God put the very breath of life into us and then said of us alone... Male and female, he created them, and he created them in his own likeness. What is man? Unbelievably important, so much so that we are the focal point of the entire universe. Here we are. You've made him a little lower than the angels. In other words, we dwell below the heaven that the angels dwell in. And yet, we have also been crowned. For you have crowned him 
with glory and honor. Have you ever thought about what it's going to be like when the Lord actually returns to his church and puts his own glory upon us and takes us home to that heavenly home that's beyond the heaven of heavens? That's the first passage. Now let's go to the other extreme. That one who is Emmanuel, God incarnate in human flesh, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the God-man, the one who died on Calvary's tree so that we might have eternal life. Luke chapter 17, verse 11, pick up there with me if you would. And now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. If you've been with us as we've studied through John's gospel thus far, uh, we know that Samaria was not normally a place that any Jew would go. It was the home of a group of people whose very beginnings were an anathema to the Jewish people. Half Jewish, half Assyrian children of war and conquest. But Jesus, God's own Son, my Savior and yours, went places that no one really wanted to go and hung out with people that no one wanted to be around. Notice this. And then he entered a certain village and there he met ten men who were lepers. Ten outcasts, ten downcasts, ten people that society would say didn't matter, ten men that if they had died, no one would have probably remembered, ten men who could not help themselves, ten men whose lives were in misery. They stood afar off, and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, this is a beautiful picture because Jesus had been in this region before. He went where no one wanted him to go and did what no one expected him to do. And so his fame is renowned, the fact that he was able to do exactly what they're asking was very well known to them. They're looking expectantly for the God-man. And so when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priests. He just speaks forth, just as he spoke forth the universe into existence. Let there be light. And there was light. Light was. Just as he had spoken forth the stars, the galaxies, the nebula, Those things that you look up in the night sky and you wonder how far away they are. As much as he spoke those into existence, he spoke healing into existence in these men's lives. If you've ever wondered whether there's something to give thanks for on Thanksgiving, we ought to be really thankful for the one who saved us. The one who loves us with an undying love. The one who is the only one who can do what he did. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. They they simply started taking a journey. And now I want you to notice something. 
And one of them, if you're any good at math, that means one out of ten, that means 90% went the other way. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God. One of them did what, did what you and I ought to be doing, not just on Thanksgiving, but every last day that exists in the rest of our lives. Glorified God because of what he had done. But nine, much like many people in our world today, didn't even stop to thank the Lord. And he fell down on his face and at his feet, giving him thanks. And then notice this little tiny detail. And he was a Samaritan. The last person you would think would fall down at the feet of a Jewish rabbi, an itinerant preacher, would have been a Samaritan. But that's what Thanksgiving does to you. Thanksgiving should put you on your face before God. Thanksgiving should cause you to take a moment, stop, and thank Him for how He's healed you and your home and your finances and put food in your pantry and clothes on your back and the gas in the car and the engineer that designed that fuel and the engineer that designed the car itself and the people that keep our roads drivable and those who keep them safe and those who are fighting for our freedoms and those who are teaching our kids, we have a lot to be thankful for, don't we? Let me tell you who's responsible for all of it. Him, the Lord Jesus. Because he's the creator of everything. And while he's given gifts to men, he's, he's given intelligence to people, He's allowed us to discover technologies and medicine and all those kind of things. Make no mistake, no one would know or be able to do anything apart from Him. So anything that is, is because He is. And Jesus answered and said, We're not ten cleansed, but where are the nine Brothers and sisters, tonight I want to implore you, don't be one of the nine. Don't be ungrateful. Don't be unthankful. Don't be unloving towards the Lord who has loved you with an undying love. Give Him thanks. Turn around and give Him thanks. Let Him know that you love Him because He first loved you. Pastor Alex was praying. It's like, we sometimes only want to thank the Lord when things are good. When the fact of the matter is, we ought to thank the Lord just because things are. Not because they're good, but they even are things. Because all those things could not be were it not for Him. Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Make sure that your Thanksgiving celebration tomorrow uh, doesn't just have one person. 
that's thankful. Don't let it be a foreigner. And he said to him, Arise and go your way, for your faith has made you well. And we have so much to be thankful for. When you think of the massive scope of all that God's created, and yet the same God that flung the stars into the heavens is the one who stopped and tended to the needs of ten helpless lepers. He's the same God that cares about the grass of the field and the flowers and the sparrows. That same God cares about you. Every detail of your life. That's hard to imagine. And it becomes even more finely defined when you think about all that he's done. You know, I'm always amazed. I I read a number of scientific magazines and journals, and I I just love to read. So it's, it's interesting to me. And I was reading an article from a couple of years ago by Stephen Hawking. And for those of you that don't know who he is, he's an avowed atheist. He's an evolutionary cosmologist. He's also probably one of the most intelligent men that's ever walked on the face of the earth. He suffers from ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, and he has exactly one functioning muscle in his face, a cheek muscle. And it allows him to use a speech synthesizer. You've probably seen him in his motorized wheelchair. He is the world's foremost cosmologist today, as far as the world of science is concerned. And he said in this article, he said, after all these years of study, I still have no idea how the universe got here. I do. He's a brilliant man. He's actually the Lucasian professor of mathematics at Cambridge. And by the way, that is the post that Sir Isaac Newton used to hold. Brilliant guy. But when he considers the heavens, he's still considering the exact same heavens that David considered. He's considering the same heavens that you consider. The same heavens that we all consider. And of course, we now look at it from a purely scientific standpoint, and and the heavens are amazing. Mind-boggling. We now know that we need to measure distances in light years. The speed of light travels at A blazing speed, 186,276 miles a second. If you want to do a little simple mathematics, that means in a year, it travels nearly 6 trillion miles. To put that in perspective for us, the closest star to ours, it would take you four years to travel that far. That's almost 24 trillion miles away to the nearest star. The nearest galaxy is 25,000 light years away. Mind-boggling. The universe appears to be 13.7 billion light years wide. And yet God, 
put his Holy Spirit in you. God cares about you, your family, your needs. He cares about you personally, providentially, and wonderfully. God's amazing. I want to put it into perspective for you. You see, when we look up at the night sky, we, we just see stars. But what you're really seeing, for the most part, every single large object in that photograph taken with the Hubble Deep Field Telescope is another galaxy. Represents hundreds of billions of stars. We've been scanning for the last 70 years the universe that we live in, and we have yet to find a single planet that could possibly have life on it. We're getting ready to go to Mars. We don't know what we'll find there. But the expanses of space, and yet God, in his infinite wisdom, chose to tell us that he dwells beyond that. The distances are so vast that even dying stars, like this one, that gas is traveling at 600,000 miles an hour. It's almost four light years wide. And for those of you that are Star Trek fans, warp one is one times the speed of light. We have yet to pass 30,000 miles an hour in a propulsion system. Currently, it's going to take us a year and a half to make it to Mars. We, we forget how big God is. And yet He dwells beyond space. He dwells beyond time. Simple things like billowing towers of gas. The tallest one in that photo is almost 10 light years long. It's 57 trillion miles long. Every time you see a trillion, put 12 zeros on the end of it. Monumental. Insane distances. Gravitational forces so finely tuned that galaxies themselves passing by each other actually cause each other to be deformed. Distorted. Those galaxies are sel- they're separated by hundreds of thousands of trillions of miles. Every single thing in that photograph is a galaxy. When I consider your heavens, when I consider your heavens, and we've got this whole program, we're going to Mars here very shortly. There's a few features on Mars that are kind of cool. There's an ice cap on there. The only problem is it's not water, it's carbon dioxide. You don't do real well on carbon dioxide. Water is a lot better for you. But there's a little tiny volcano on it called Olympus Mons. It's 342 miles wide. That's roughly three times the width of the state of California. 14 miles high. More than twice the height of Mount Everest. When I consider your heavens... Just for fun, I, I thought I'd take our and shrink down our solar system. That's it in that little box there on the left-hand side. 
That is the scale of our entire solar system. One edge to the other edge. Currently at its closest point from us to Pluto is about 2.6 billion miles. Our solar system would go across that little nebula some 20 times. When I consider your heavens, and then he says, what is man that you are mindful of him? We think our galaxy's big. That galaxy is 50,000 light years across. 350 trillion miles. And every one of those stars could have planets and all kinds of things swirling around it. Almost all of them bigger than our sun. What is man that you are mindful of him? Think about it. There's a galaxy that looks a lot like ours. The only problem is that one is over a hundred times bigger than, than the one that's closest to us and it's twice the size of our own. Has a, has almost a hundred has nearly a trillion stars in it. A hundred that's a basically a thousand billion stars. You can see all the little galaxies in there swirling around. What is man? What are you? Who am I? The answer? You're everything. You are, in fact, everything to God. So much so that He sent His own Son into this world that the world through Him would be saved. He didn't send Jesus into outer space. Didn't send Jesus to Mars. He sent Jesus to this little tiny blue ball that sits out there on an arm in the Milky Way galaxy. That, by the way, is called the eye of God. You can kind of see why. He sacrificed Jesus for you and for me. God cares about you. Are you thankful for Him? Are you thankful for Him? Because He loves you. You see, sometimes we forget. We're so consumed with the details of living and life that we forget that the God that flung those galaxies into space at the word of His mouth. That the prophet David rightly said, these are your finger works. These are something that God can do. You could almost look at it, it's kind of like he was messing around and made the galaxies. That's the God that loves you. That's the God that looked at these lepers and stopped in the middle of what he was doing. And even though 90% of them were ungrateful, he healed them all. There's a lot to be thankful for, family. You made us a little lower than the angels, but you've crowned us with glory and honor. If God can make star systems like that, 
and He crowns you with His glory and honor, crowns me with His glory and honor, probably a good idea that we thank Him every once in a while, don't you think? You, you see, part of what we get to celebrate tomorrow is that He did create the heavens. But that's just His finger work. You, in fact, are His masterwork. The book of Ephesians plainly states that you are His poema, His masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works that you should walk in them. It's a reason to be thankful. I don't know about you, but when I look at galaxies and star systems and think that God was messing around when He made those, but He put real effort into me, I feel real special. I do. It's like, God, you must really love me. Because that's pretty awesome. I look at our world, the creation itself, and look at all that God has done. I say, but you put your spirit in me. You didn't put it into a rock. And I've seen some beautiful rocks. I grew up in North San Diego County. North San Diego County, most people don't know about. There's only two places on the entire earth where you can find pink and green tourmaline uh, together as a gemstone. And one of the largest pieces ever found, ever, anywhere on the planet, was found in a little mine in a little canyon not far from where I grew up. It's over four feet long. It's this gemstone. It's a crystal. It's like this. It's six inches in diameter. I'm looking at it. Man, God's messing around and made that. You look at a sonogram of a child. God put His masterwork into that child into every single human being now you know why he stopped on the road now you know why in the sermon on the mount he said please don't worry about anything for see how i take care of the grass of the field and the flowers And the sparrows, are you not of much more value than these? And the answer is an emphatic, you better believe it. But God even takes care of sparrows. He concerned himself with making grass beautiful. You know, people sometimes say, oh, what's so beautiful about grass? Have you ever traveled to the great plains of this country in the spring? And watch the amber waves of grain. You've ever seen a meadow in the high Sierras with the wind blowing across it? Grass can be very beautiful. But he's concerned with you. His eyes on you. That's why Peter, as he would comment on his own mortality, his, his own worth, That's why there in 1 Peter, in chapter 5, it says that we can cast our cares upon Him for, or in other words, because He cares for us. And the word cares there is not like, well, you're something on His to-do list. 
You're the only thing on his to-do list. From God's perspective, he wakes up every morning and says, Jeff, how are you doing? How's life treating you? Need my help? I'm right here. We have a lot to be thankful for, family. He does care. He cared about those lepers. He he is so incredibly vast as to dwell beyond those star systems and galaxies, past the edge of the universe. He is there. He's the uncaused cause of everything else. When an astrophysicist tells you, I I believe the, the Big Bang He believes that the mass of the entire universe was scrunched down into a ball of matter that would be less than the size of a good-sized watermelon. And they can't tell you where that came from. But they will then tell you that that ball of highly condensed matter exploded. And in the first billionths of seconds, it expanded to a size nearly one-third of our known universe. And out of that explosion came all kinds of order. Not chaos, but perfectly ordered star systems. I'm pretty sure that the uncaused cause said in the beginning, God created. He's the bang in the Big Bang. You have a reason to be thankful. Because the God that presided over creation also presides over your life. The God that created everything also created you unique. The God that looks at this world and realizes that one day Jesus is coming again also has compassion and pity and love and care and concern. And providentially takes care of everyone because he's responsible for everything. He's incredibly vast and yet unbelievably personal. He's the God of our broken parts. He's he's the God of our bits. He's the God of our pieces. He's the God of our relationships. He's the God of our friendships and family. He's the one that allows you to breathe every breath you ever breathe. He's the one that keeps the blood coursing through your veins. And when he says it isn't going to go anymore, it's not going to go anymore. But praise God, he doesn't do that just on a whim. I want to give you three steps to having a great Thanksgiving tomorrow. And they're very simple. Found in one verse, 1 Thessalonians 5. But it really is all three verses. And it says, Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Three very simple things. Rejoice always. And always doesn't mean when things are good. Always actually means always. See, an attitude of gratitude, an attitude of rejoicing is something that you have 
because you understand the one who's given you life. The one who's given us everything. I don't know how many of you do this. Does anyone else toss the phrase, hey, thanks for everything? You ever do that? Do you realize there's only one being in the entire universe that that's actually true about? And it's God. Because He actually has given you everything. That turkey, from Him. No matter how dry it is. Those burned rolls came from God. Everything, the home, the table you will sit around from Him. The family that you will eat your meal with from Him. The life that each of them has from Him. The earth and the fullness of it is the Lord's. So when you say thanks for everything, there's only one person who should ever get that. And it's God. Rejoice always means that you're actually thankful for Him all the time. Not just on Thanksgiving. Rejoice always. Not about material things. Not just about emotional things. But always remember to express joy. Because there's a reason to do it. Everything you have came from Him. Pray continually. All day, every day. It's a principle that the Apostle Paul writes in three of his letters to the church. Pray always. Pray without ceasing is another way he states it. We're to always pray. And the reason we're to always pray is there's always reasons to pray. And if you can't think of a reason, that's a reason to pray. Because you've kind of lost track of why you pray in the first place. Because God loves you and God wants to hear from you. Pray always, continually. It, it's a praying lifestyle. Kind of like every once in a while we'll laugh because we're, you know, we're kind of unconventional when it comes to praying. I, I, I especially pray when I'm driving. I need to pray when you need me to pray when I'm driving. I pray continually. I just put my speakerphone on and I say, God, oh, please get me to the church. Lord, I don't know what that person's doing, but it appears that she's putting on her makeup with her toes on the steering wheel. Could you save her and everyone else around her? You know, you, pray continually. There's reason, you, you know, you've seen that same lady, haven't you? Yeah. There's a guy every morning, PCH is three lanes on each side. There's a dude who reads his newspaper while he's driving. No joke. He's got the newspaper. It's on either side of the steering wheel. I don't even know how he follows the words. It's like, I'm praying continually. And in reality, a lot of times it's like, Lord, I've got this meeting. This couple's got problems in their marriage. God, would you give me wisdom? Somebody's coming through the the door and... I, I know there's a need in their life as God. I, I don't know how to fix that, but you do. Would you please? It's an attitude. These things are attitudes, family. Thanksgiving is an attitude. It's not something we just celebrate. It's a way that we should be living. It's not a holiday. It's a way of life. 
Put that God phone on. Keep it on hands-free. And then finally, give thanks in all circumstances. A hundred percent of them. So when you throw that phrase out there, thanks for everything. Are you thanking Him for everything? The challenges, the difficulties, even the hurt, the pain. It's hard to do, isn't it? It's hard to thank God for things that circumstantially are not very fun. And yet, Scripture says we're supposed to do that. And I believe there's a reason why. Because if you can thank Him for the thorns, then you will always thank Him for the good stuff. If you can thank Him for the difficulties, then thanking Him for the blessings will be very easy for you. Give Him thanks for everything, all circumstances. If He can handle keeping galaxies from crashing into each other, if He can handle keeping our little planet spinning around our sun with its very specific eight and a half pounds of gravitational force that keeps you on the planet, with our beautifully tuned atmosphere that's just the right amount of three basic atomic structures, oxygen, nitrogen, hydrogen. You ever wondered how it got like that? It wasn't an accident. He loves you. His eyes on you. Thank Him for it. You'll be full of joy. You'll be able to say, have a blessed Thanksgiving because you have Thanksgiving in your heart. And I pray that we do that as we celebrate around our dinner tables tomorrow. Pray that your Thanksgiving celebrations are filled with joy and wonder and beauty. I I pray that your turkey is not dry. The gravy has no lumps. Unless you like lumps in your gravy, then lumpy gravy to you. If you're like me and... Thanksgiving is not Thanksgiving unless you get cranberry sauce out of a can where you have to do both ends and squeeze it out. Amen? That's what I'm saying. We have a lot to be thankful. Isn't it weird that we can think about stuff like that and it actually brings us joy? That's how good God is. That's how good He is. The little silly cans of Red gelatinous berries that grow in a swamp make us happy. <laughs> Think about it. You ever thought what a cranberry is? It grows in a swamp, okay? And somebody mashes it up and puts gelatin in it, and somehow it tastes great with turkey? It spills over in your mashed potatoes, and it's even better? We have a lot to be thankful for, don't we? Sometimes just the simple things. Keep your eyes on the prize because Jesus is coming soon. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Would you stand? Let's. We're going to close in worship in a minute. I want to pray for you. Pray with you. Pray for us.
Father, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for being so good to us. Lord, the one who authored the heavens, Lord, threw them into space at the word of your command. The one who cradles the sparrow that falls to the ground. The one who loves us with an undying love. The one who's the Lord of our dinner table, of our workplace. Lord, the one who's with us in our cars on the way to work. The one who keeps watch over our country. The one who takes care of our children as they go to the bus stop. The one who puts air in our lungs. Lord, we thank you for being so good to us. We are truly blessed. Lord, we want to just simply say to you, thanks for everything. Because indeed you're worthy of it. We bless your name. We ask that you bless our celebrations tomorrow. Lord, give us joy and peace. Lord, fix the brokenness that's in our world, please. Cause us to be a light in the darkness. Would our families be lights that shine for you? Everywhere we are, would you be visible? We praise you and we thank you. And God's people all said, Amen. Amen.